Hi, I'm Jervis Lewis, and in this video, I'd like to introduce you to my oncologist, Dr. Mike Kuznir from the Mount Sinai Comprehensive Cancer Center. If you've read my book, Broken Bowels, Tales of a Super Survivor, then you already know about the man, but you may have not physically met him. So I hope I can facilitate that in this video. Dr. Kuznir was somebody who was instrumental in helping me get through cancer and ultimately helped me survive because he administered a new type of drug known as immunotherapy. And that is the drug that ultimately cured me, which is why doctors refer to me as a super survivor. And those are people who have been successfully cured with this new type of drug. Uh, in my case, it was specifically Keytruda and Dr. Kuznir, among many others, have helped me get through this. Now, in this lunchtime talk that he gave in March 2018, I had one camera running. I was kind of waiting for the last nine months to send him, for him to send me the slides uh, of this presentation. So I never got them, sadly, but it's one of those things. It's, it's still going to be all right without him. I had one camera running in the kind of darkened auditorium there, but uh, it's more about what he said, and the audio quality is very good. I had a second microphone there just for him. Dr. Kuzni is going to tell us about the latest discoveries in cancer, specifically colorectal cancer. So how it works, how it can be prevented, and of course how we can hopefully one day all be cured by it. So these are very recent discoveries and the scientists have not been entirely clear about how cancer worked up until very recently. Now, without further ado, here he is, Dr. Mike Kuznir. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you, thank you, Eddie. Um, I'm going to try to go over some of the different topics uh, today, mostly on uh, some of the developments that we have seen over the past uh, few years in uh, colon cancer. Uh, for the ones that don't know, this month actually is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, which it's quite important. Uh, nowadays, colon cancer is a fairly important uh, topic. Uh, people underestimate the amount of patients that suffer from colon cancer. Uh, this year alone, it's expected that colon cancer will be diagnosed in over 130,000 people in this country, and more than 50,000 deaths are going to be expected from colon cancer. So a lot of these developments are with the hope that we're going to be able to prevent a lot of those type of um, catastrophic events and um, again don't forget that uh, it's a topic in motion I'm gonna be talking really superficially about some of the different things that are going on some of the ones that we're doing at Sinai as well as some of the different things that are going around the country and some of the new developments that we have learned about colon cancer over the past few years I'll, I'll speak a little bit in Spanish as well um, but Mostly, I'll try to keep it up in English, mostly scientifically speaking. I, I speak better in English in, in a lot of these topics. Colon cancer is not new. However, a lot of the treatments that we're seeing are fairly new. Believe it or not, from 1957 until 1998, only this drug was approved for the treatment of colon cancer. We had nothing else for colon cancer until 1998. You're talking that Nixon declared the war on cancer in 1971, and even through all those years, we couldn't get any type of new developments in colon cancer. 
So a lot of what you're going to hear over the next uh, 20 to 30 minutes, it started to occur really in 1998 and beyond, and you'll see how much we have advanced. So this is a topic that it really is changing quite a bit. Now, a lot of people may say that it really looks impossible, and believe me, I started studying uh, colon cancer exactly at that time in 1994, really, is when I started all my studies in oncology, and looking that there was no development when I started to do research in colorectal cancer, a lot of people used to tell me that it was just impossible. And as Nelson Mandela said in that quote, that it always seems impossible until it is done. But the truth is that the success comes from persevering and looking and collaborating in research and moving forward with a lot of the different things that we are trying to achieve at Mount Sinai. What we have learned is that colon cancer is not a single disease. And you'll see a little bit of the differences as I show you in the next few slides. But also we have seen that colon cancer cannot be treated as a single disease. Colon cancer needs to be taken into consideration with major parameters. And the parameters need to be of the patient characteristics, the molecular characteristics of the tumor, uh, the patient preference, and even the tumor characteristics. There's tumors that just behave different in the colon. And when I see in my office that somebody tells me, oh, but doctor, my neighbor is taking this drug for lung cancer, and I'm telling them like, yes, but what you have is colon cancer. Now we're even talking that two colon cancers may not be the same. And why is that? The reason is because the communicating pathways, how the cancer behaves of trying to signal to the cells to behave badly, to divide and to start invading other tissues and all that, are mediated by a lot of these type of connections and things like that that you see all the time in uh, scientific diagrams. And once, I remember that when I was still in Baltimore, a patient of mine that was an analyst for the IRS looked at one of these diagrams and he told me, this is quite simple. If we block in this area, that area, and this area, we'll block the cells completely and we'll be able to overcome colon cancer. And mathematically speaking, and just looking from the simplistic point of view, that if you block two or three lines there, it will be simple. But what I did at that time, I remember that I discussed with that person, I said, what happened if I tell you to try to block the Tokyo subway? And I said, if this is the map of the Tokyo subway, which it is, this is the Tokyo um, underground system, but every time that a train stops, the surrounding trains increase their movement by two or three times. Try to block me, the Tokyo Bay. And the patient that was actually a mathematician said that's not going to be feasible because every time you're going into another circuit that is going to be unblocking the previous one that you had blocked. And that's exactly what happens with colon cancer. That we have trouble blocking it. And besides that, there's some in in inherent mutations that can happen in the colon cancer that we are now even dividing in between what we call wild-type colon cancers, meaning that they are not mutated, and some that are mutated, that a lot of the drugs that we're developing have already resistance. Like if it's almost in antibiotics, if you have a bacteria that it's not ever exposed to an antibiotic, but it's already resistant to that antibiotic. So that, that's a problem in colon cancer, that we have a lot of these 
tumors that we would say wild type versus mutant, but we need to learn how to control them different. And this is a, um, what we call a microarray assay. I'm going to walk to this side so I can show you a little bit better of, of what we're looking here. This, each one of these lines here is a separate patient. And these ones are the genes that now we have been able to sequence of the whole genome, every single chromosome in the body. And whatever is red means that it's that gene, it's turned on. And whatever is green, that gene is turned off. And you can see that they divide a lot. You cannot tell that there's two cancers that look exactly like the other one, and every patient and every cancer is behaving different. We've been able to now sequence these and divide colon cancer into different categories. That now instead of just talking of a huge category, we divide colon cancer in four subtypes. And the same way that we say lung cancer is not colon cancer, nowadays we know that CMS1 here or CMS2, colon cancer, are different types of cancers. So that's a new development. This is actually data that was presented only in 2014, and we started to apply it in clinic maybe by 2017. But the genes, all those genetic expressions, all those different things that I was showing you could be changed, and they could be changed with a lot of things that we're doing. The expression of that tumor is not set in stone, and things that we do in our daily living are going to change the expression. And even things of diet, as I'm going to show you in a second, could impact the way that the cancer survives. Now, why is that? Because the genetics could be very different. I can tell you this is a picture of Yasser Arafat and a picture of Ringo Starr. They may look alike. They're not anything to do one with the other one. Okay? And in the past, we used to say that you could change your genes, but not your genes. This, there's never been a statement that has been so wrong like this one. You can change your genes. If you can switch those genes that I just showed you in between red and green, it could change completely the way that the behavior of those tumors could be and the behavior of um, the cancer and anti-cancer treatments will be. To the point that we have even looked in studies at identical twins. And if you see that a lot of times, and we have in the office a lot of patients that may have twins, and one of the twins have cancer, and the other one doesn't, and the, and the one that doesn't have cancer may tell us, like, am I doomed as well because I have an identical twin and she has cancer or he has cancer? Not necessarily. These are the chromosomes of two twins. At three years old, they look very similar. You see, those are two chromosomes. Look how different they look at the age of 50. Why? Because one may have been exposed to more risky behavior than the other one. There could be many different reasons, and we're starting to explore every single gene of those. Nowadays, every patient that walks to our center in Mount Sinai is getting, with colon cancer, every one of these genes sequenced so that we learn what's turned on and what's turned off 
and that we are able to figure out how to treat them. And believe me, when I say how to treat them, it doesn't mean that we're working for pharmaceutical companies. It doesn't mean that we're looking at the genome, the double helix that was described of DNA, and that there's a lot of pharmaceutical component. This, a lot of these um, clinical trials are being developed by our doctors also at Sinai, and we've been looking at how do we interfere with them. To show you some of the examples of what we have collaborated at Sinai and what we have done, there's been some studies, and there's now an ongoing study that we're looking at how does obesity correlate with some of the different patients with cancer. And you could see that it's been seen that the overall survival, if a patient presents with colon cancer, with overweight versus with normal weight, it's completely different than a patient that is overweight, it's going to have much more trouble. So we need to keep healthy behaviors. And the healthy behaviors are usually what we call prudent diets. The prudent diets, like for instance, this one, that it was a study that we also collaborated with the people from uh, Harvard. Uh, this is the report from Jeff Mayerhart at Harvard. What he found out is that if you eat in a prudent fashion, no sugary drinks, not a lot of refined sugars, and just not a lot of meat products and things like that, you're going to have a survival with a curable stage of cancer. Stage three means that the patient goes for surgery, they remove the cancer, and then they send the patient to me to prevent the cancer from coming back. That patient, if he has a healthy behavior, has an improvement in survival that it's even better than any chemotherapy that I can give him, okay? And that's not the only one. In, in the studies that we have done with him, we have actually seen a lot of different things that influence survival. Some of them we're very happy to see, like coffee, and some of the other ones, like three nuts. This was last year. Last year, we actually found out, in this, as we continue to collect data from this study, that if the patients consume at least two handfuls of three nuts, meaning the ones that are growing um, high on trees and not peanuts, peanuts are legumes. They're not really nuts. But besides that, when, they, when I tell the patients you have to eat more nuts, a lot of times they come and they eat these nuts, which you can tell has quite a bit of ingredients instead of just a handful of nuts. So that's part of the problem. It's not only what we're seeing in cancer about what we eat, but maybe also what we don't eat, that we're not eating just general type of um, products to the point that as a um, follow-up to all this, I can tell you that this year we're expecting 35% of the cancers to be caused by obesity and trouble with feeding, meaning that we're eating a lot of these chemical additives, a lot of this uh, saturated fat, and it's going to be something that we should be looking into much more detail and educating our patients much more, and we are doing studies. I'll show you one that we're doing in, in these uh, parameters. But even some of the different uh, supplements, maybe even where we are eating, meaning here we have the beautiful weather of Florida, and if we were exposed to good amount of sun, instead of just being so, uh, with such a level of avoidance to sun, but getting some extra vitamin D, meaning eating those nuts on the beach, relaxing, may also improve survival. And vitamin D levels, 
when the vitamin D levels are better, we're also going to be with a better survival in colorectal cancer. Okay? So we need to not only continue to advocate for all of our scientific behaviors, but we also need to continue to advocate for this type of pharmacies. We need to advocate for pharmacies that are healthy eating and healthy living in general. Back to a little bit of new developments in colon cancer. Over the past year and a half, we have also learned that even if we are dividing the colon cancer in those four subtypes that I show you, the colon cancer, for the ones that know a little bit on the anatomy, goes from the right side all the way to the left, kind of almost like making a frame in the abdomen. But the colon, the same way that it's not the stomach, that it all comes from the same tube. It's not that we're elongating a tube and making it go all around our body. The colon of the right side, in embryology, when the, when the baby is developing, develops from a different area than the colon from the left. And they do behave different. And they behave different in males, females, right and left. The same genetic expressions that I show you of just looking at right, left, male, female. Completely, completely different. And the survival of those patients is also completely different. This we only, you would think that this is very simplistic and that we would have known this forever. We learned about this last year. This is 2017 data uh, of looking at how the tumors from the right and the left are behaving different with prospective studies. And you can tell that it's not only from issues of how fast are we detecting one tumor or another one, doesn't really matter. It's also not a matter of that we have drugs now that are more effective from one side to the other one. This is just what we call um, migration based by year of diagnosis, that if we have developed a drug that works better for one tumor, it's not the case. There's always been a separation from the days before we had better drugs for colon cancer to the modern days that right and left side behave a little bit different in their overall uh, survival. What we learned this year is that this is mediated by the same subtypes of patients. So what have we done? We have started to focus not only on the patients that have great survival, that they're doing quite well. You could see that a lot of these patients, more than 50, 70% of those patients are alive more than two years, even with very advanced disease, but we have started to look for drugs for these subtypes that are the most difficult to treat. And we have found some. We found some drugs. Here, the curves just show you that in that CMS1, the one that I was showing you that had the worst survival, if we use this drug, we will have a favorable response and we will move that curve higher up, meaning that the patients will be looking better. The other thing that we have done quite a bit, and we were just talking as we were driving here, is look at this in real time. How is the tumor changing? If I'm telling you that consuming certain amount of tree nuts and being healthy can change the way that the tumor behaves, am I changing some of that genetic material to the point that I can monitor the tumor and know I need to change my therapy to a different type of therapy instead of just relying this is the same type of cancer that I had from the past two years, I'm dealing with the same cancer. Can we do a real-time adaptive behavior 
and checking the tumor on a day-to-day -day basis. We're starting to look at that. We are probably with one of the largest data sets of data collected of looking at tumor DNA. So material that the tumor is kind of like excreting in the blood without getting any other biopsy. This is what we call a liquid biopsy and finding that tumor DNA in the blood and adapting and giving the patient a treatment based on a new mutation that appeared at a moment in time. Instead of it's the same tumor I'm treating and I'm treating and it's not the same tumor. The tumor has changed because of my previous treatments, because of the behavior of the patient and all that stuff. So that's one of the things. Just today, I actually heard uh, by the Apple store that we got approved and we are ready to launch, hopefully within the next two weeks, a new app that we're going to be the first ones in the country to be deploying an app in the, for the Apple iPhones that is going to be collecting data on our patients that are undergoing treatment for cancer to look at what we call patient-reported outcomes. Instead of me telling the patient, you're looking good, or the patient just telling me, I feel good, on the day of the visit, to be looking at a whole week and seeing how the patient is doing. And that will be done with a lot of parameters that we have in our belts. The phones, all these smartphones that a lot of us are carrying, 77% of the population now carries a smartphone. And those smartphones have a lot of sensors that go from barometric sensors to see if we are climbing stairs or not, all the way to measuring location geographically to see if we're leaving our houses, how much are we walking, how many steps are we taking, a lot of different sensors, but also I will be able to see that one of my patients is getting a treatment that I expect that is going to be very toxic on day five of the treatment, but it's going to be a Saturday that I could send a message to the patient and tell him, do you mind sending me this survey and telling me how you're feeling so that I can intervene early and not wait until the next visit? For the first time ever, it's going to be a connectivity in between the electronic medical record system, the patient's phone, in a real-time communication that we're going to be seeing uh, on a clinical trial. So that was approved today, actually, by the Apple Store. So it should be you should be hearing more news about that that we'll be working on over the next maybe one or two months when we do the beta testing and all the different things. So we really are going into personalizing medicine. What we really like to see is that in the future, nobody will have colon cancer. In the future, it will be that I can tell the patient, you have a type of colon cancer that is a very specific by your behavior, you're changing it to this other specific tumor, and by what I'm giving you, I'm going to be changing that behavior much more so that we will be able to really target that patient in an individualized and personalized fashion. Now, a lot of people may tell me, but are we still going to see that the patients are going to die from colorectal cancer? And I found this cartoon that somebody sent me from South America that it says... I'll translate it, it says in, in Spanish, but I'll translate it to English. It says, Charlie Brown says, like, one day we're going to die. And Snoopy answers, yes, but all the other days we're not. 
And that's what we're going for. We're going for a lot of the other days that we're not. Have we advanced since the days that I told you, 1998, that I was starting my uh, interest in colon cancer and all that? We have advanced a lot, a lot. This is the curve of survival when I started studying oncology, and this is today. We have shifted this curve in approximately 20 years by a lot, and we want to keep shifting it until it is a completely flat line that 100% of the patients are going to be alive. This is a clinical trial that we also participated at Mount Sinai that shifted this curve to this level, and we're able to now know a lot of what is going on and we're moving on with a lot of new technologies, okay? So when the patient comes into our office and they tell us, like, doctor, they, they found a mass, we probably will be able to tell them, yes, but we have weapons of mass destruction. In the, in the sense that now we have even drugs that are even targeting the immune system, that are able to actually wake up their patient's own immune system and send a signal to tell them, like, you go and attack the tumor. You don't need a drug that is toxic as chemotherapy to go and kill healthy and unhealthy cells, but we are able to tell our own systems, go and find the tumor and destroy it. And that's already been done in colon cancer. We have two drugs already approved for that, and we're doing more studies to try to ignite that system, even on the tumors that are not usually sensitive. So with that, I'll be more than glad to take questions uh, or answer any other comments. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dr. Kruznir, for that valuable insight there. If you have any questions for him, I'm trying to set up an interview with Dr. Kruznir, kind of a one-on-one, -on -one intimate type setting. If you have any questions for him, leave them down below in the comments. I'm more than happy to relay them to him when the time comes. You can also meet the man in person, if you like, on the 6th of April, I believe, 2019, here in Hollywood, that's in Florida, not in Los Angeles, at the second annual oncology symposium at the Hard Rock Cafe. I'm gonna leave some details for that event down below in the description. I'm gonna be there, my wonderful nutritionist, Julie Rothenberg is gonna be there, Julia, my wife is gonna be there, Dr. Karen Stevenson is gonna be there, and of course, Dr. Mike Kuznir is gonna be there as well. If you're in the market for an excellent oncologist who specializes in colorectal related cancer, then don't hesitate to contact him directly via the Mount Sinai Comprehensive Cancer Center. I'm gonna leave a link in the description. Uh, you can contact him via that, you can make an appointment. He's uh, working in the greater Miami area. So if you're in South Florida and you need somebody who's looking after you, who can save your life, then that's your man. Thank you so much for watching. I hope you got a lot out of it and I will see you next time. Take care, bye-bye.